Most of the women who have come forward to speak with me and share their stories are grateful for the affair. Even those who wouldn't have an affair today, but had an affair, see it as a self-actualizing experience, as something that taught them a great deal about what they want in a relationship. Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Lay Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. Close your eyes for a moment and picture a married heterosexual woman who is meeting up with the man she's having an affair with. What does this moment look like? And what is her backstory? Why is she having this affair? Feel free to pause for a moment until an image comes to mind. Okay, got it? What did you imagine? Odds are many of you listening were picturing very different things, both in terms of what that scene looked like and why this woman was there. Was she there for sex? How about intimacy or emotional connection? Or maybe a bit of validation? Or perhaps she was simply there because she knows she can be. Affairs can take a lot of different forms, so let's talk about them. In today's show, we're going to explore four distinct types of affairs that women have. We're also going to discuss how women's affairs have changed over time, how the COVID pandemic affected women's infidelity, as well as how women feel about the affairs that they've had. Are they happy that they cheated, or do they have regrets? I am joined once again by author Susan Shapiro Barish. She is the author of 13 nonfiction books on women's issues. She also writes fiction under her pen name, Susanna Moran. Susan's latest book is titled A Passion for More, Affairs That Make or Break Us. In this book, Susan presents three decades of research she conducted on heterosexual women in monogamous relationships who committed infidelity, and that's what we're going to be discussing today. This is going to be a fascinating conversation. Stick around, and we're going to jump in right after the break. Get fit and stay firm with FirmTech. Their performance ring is designed to boost your sexual stamina and give you harder, longer-lasting erections while also enhancing pleasure for both the wearer and their partner. Their tech ring has the added benefit of tracking your erectile health when synced with FirmTech's free mobile app, which monitors changes in erection duration, hardness, and more. Take control of your sexual health while increasing sexual performance and satisfaction at the same time. To learn more, check the show notes or visit myfirmtech.com and be sure to use my exclusive discount code, Justin20, to save 20% off your purchase. Again, that's myfirmtech.com. The Kinsey Institute's Art and Artifact Collection contains thousands of items from around the world spanning more than 2,000 years of human history. You can check out some of the items in the newly opened Kinsey Institute Gallery on the Indiana University Bloomington campus, which is open to the public from 9.30 to 4, Monday through Friday. You can also find two Kinsey Institute art exhibitions at the Wilsig Erotic Art Museum, located in the heart of South Beach in Miami, Florida. Check the show notes for more information or visit kinseyinstitute.org. Okay, Susan, let's talk about why women have affairs. Research on infidelity finds that there are several distinct motivations behind it. You know, it's not as simple as, I just don't love my partner anymore. And in your work, you identify four distinct styles of infidelity that I think map pretty well onto the broader scientific literature. So let's talk about them one at a time. 
We're going to start first with the empowering affairs. So what do you mean by the term empowering affair? And what does this type of infidelity look like? Yes. So there are four types. According to my ongoing research, I've identified four different types of affairs. And the empowering affair is really about women trading in the currency that men have long traded in. So they earn their own money. They get on airplanes. They go to hotels. They can have a kind of fling if they so choose. There can be a boy toy. They can compartmentalize so that, you know, they go back to their families. They're able to keep it at a distance and they're able to have it on their terms. So this is the empowering affair. Women have more power. This is one aspect of it if they so choose. And I think an important point to clarify here is that all of the women that you've studied in your work are heterosexually identified, right? So in talking about these typologies of affairs, it might be different if you were looking at, say, same-sex relationships or other diversity and relationship types, right? Well, yes. And the reason, you know, when I started the research and then I've kept it going every year, so I just honored the original premise and looked at heterosexual relationships. But, you know, it all is so fascinating and it is always reflective of an inner journey. So, you know, what is it that women really want, as Freud said a long time ago? And it's still a question not quite answered. (laughs) And that inner journey is part of any experience of infidelity, no matter people's gender or sexual orientation. But I think when you're studying affairs, specifically in that heterosexual context, that's also telling you something unique about how gender roles and relations are changing. And so I could only hypothesize that, you know, maybe the typologies or types of affairs might have evolved or changed more for heterosexual women relative to, say, lesbians, because the nature of relations between men and women in modern society have changed so much in recent years. There's no question that our culture still upholds and advertises the heterosexual idealized couple and the offspring that they're expected to produce and the nuclear family. And we don't mean to be cynical, but there are many ways to experience life, you know, that isn't so specifically prescribed to us. So the societal messaging is Definitely one that's been around a long time, you know, that um, we're raised on fairy tales, that the prince will come, that he's the answer. Women hold the bar very high. I've um, written a few books on the role of wife in America in contemporary society. And this is in a passion for more, too. When women want their husbands or monogamous partners to be best friend, confidant, breadwinner and lover for decades on end, that's a lot to ask of anyone. So, you know, do they have a passion for more? Well, yes, but also their expectations are, you know, the bar is held pretty high and the expectations are really there. And a lot of the men, women report to me, the husbands say, look, I I did the best I could or I'm doing the best I can. 
So, you know, I'm not being harsh about the husbands and we really understand the positioning, but I'm here to investigate why as traditional as these women are to be married or to be in a committed relationship, they're also very able to embark on an affair. Yeah, I think you raise a lot of really important points there. Now, when it comes to talking about infidelity, you know, we said there are these four different types of affairs that you found in your work. And the next type are these sex-driven affairs. And based on the name, it's clear that these affairs tend to have a pretty big physical component to them. And this is probably the type of affair that most people think of when they imagine what infidelity looks like. I think there's this big connotation between sex and infidelity Certainly, we know that it can be much more than that. It's not always about sex. But tell us a little bit about this. Is is a sex-driven affair about a woman who's having bad sex with her husband? Is she wanting to explore her sexuality or something else? All of the above. The sex-driven affair is something that we've always accepted about men. Oh, so he just wanted great sex or, you know, it was just nothing but sex while he was out of town on a business trip or... The affair meant nothing because it was only about sex. You know, we've heard these rationales and these explanations. But what the women in my research are telling me is that they are very happy except about the sex in their marriages. And so they don't want some emotional connection. They don't want a virtual affair. Those are are very common during COVID, by the way. Um, but they want a sex-driven, intense, possibly very experimental kind of affair, and they are not looking for anything else. So if the lover happens to get attached, or if they themselves get attached to the lover, they move on, and that's really how they operate. It's, you know, about great sex, something they don't have in the marriage or with a long-standing partner, and then it's over. And they just go on to the next partner. And the women who do this have a very specific, determined way of managing it. Now, I have to imagine that the sex-driven affairs probably also coincide with what we've heard a lot about in recent years with regard to the orgasm gap. You know, the idea that heterosexual women are experiencing orgasms at much lower rates compared to heterosexual men. So women's pleasure is not as big of a priority. And we see this happen in a lot of heterosexual long-term monogamous relationships. You know, rates of orgasm for men are 95 to 98% of the time they're having them. And for women, you know, somewhere between half and and two-thirds say they're usually are always having orgasms. So part of it, you know, might just be about wanting to be with someone who prioritizes their pleasure for the first time. Uh, This is also a common reason I see in the research on why women sometimes hire male sex workers. It's because they want somebody who is really invested in prioritizing their pleasure. And I think when you're in a really long-term relationship with someone and you fall into these sexual patterns and routines, it can be very hard to break them. And so, you know, kind of by having that new partner that opens up a lot of different possibilities. You don't carry all the previous sexual baggage. So you can really see it as a way that some women might find it 
to be easier to explore their sexuality in the context of this new partner where there's a lot of intensity and passion compared to their long-term monogamous partner? Absolutely. The women describe it as very freeing. Some of them describe how they asked their husbands or longstanding partners to be more playful, to be more experimental, to have more sex, to understand them better. And they weren't getting it. They weren't getting the response, the attention. And so this lover really fills a gap in what this woman wants and yearns for. And that really distinguishes it because one or two of the women told me that they fell in love with their sex-driven affair partner. And several women said that when it gets too intense, they leave, when it gets entangled. Now, the majority of the women in this section of the book really manage it very well. Women are very good at managing things, very acrobatic. So, you know, a lot of our behavior, in my opinion, as a gender professor, has been learned as a survival mechanism. So when a woman is really good in the sex-driven section of the book, these interviewees have contemplated what they want. They have boundaries. So they're very, you know, they're very, very cautious and also all in. That's fascinating. Now, the third type of infidelity that you discuss are the love affairs. And these affairs may certainly have a big sexual component to them, but what distinguishes them is the focus on affection, intimacy, and connection. I also get the sense that these affairs are about wanting to sometimes re-experience those really intense feelings of passion that tend to fade over time in long-term relationships. So tell us a little bit about love affairs. The love affair section of my book and my research is really the most touching and poignant because the women aren't open to an affair. It's not something they are contemplating or planning, but much more about an unexpected man being realized. Maybe it's someone at work. Maybe it's at a high school or college reunion. Maybe it's being on the internet and um, being able to locate that guy you always liked a little or the boyfriend whom you didn't marry or move in with. And reunited or being reunited or just united with someone like this really throws everything into a different sphere. And so in this study, the women who have left for the lover talk about if you cheated for, then you'll be cheated on and much more of a conscience after it's really catapulted them into a different arena altogether. But while it's going on, these affairs are the most compelling. And there's a lot of justification there's a lot of longing because it's so emotional. And they're really, really the most triangulated. Many women say, my husband's great, but this is someone I fell in love with. Like I've never been in love like this before. 
like, or, you know, I was supposed to marry him and we found each other 15 years later and four kids later. And, you know, I have three, he has one. This is where we're at. So very complicated, very, very tricky to navigate the love affair. Yeah. So it sounds like there could actually probably be a couple different subtypes of this with one being kind of the nostalgic love affair where you're reunited with someone from the past. But as you were talking about this, I was also thinking about something that Esther Perel has talked about in her work, which is that, you know, affairs are often about contemplating and considering different pathways that we might take in life, you know, and it's sort of this self-exploration. And so it's kind of the alternatives, like, you know, I had this relationship, explored this path with this one partner, but what if I explored with this other person and it's being able to experience something that you just wouldn't otherwise be able to have or experience in your life? And it's really profound because we also look at the layers of love and commitment and where does this lover fit in? I remember interviewing a woman who said that she was madly in love with her lover and she'd never felt anything like it. It really was illuminating. But if she had to leave her home, she would have four moving vans. And if he had to leave his home, he'd have a knapsack, you know, a book bag, and that would be it. And that that was enough to understand that the affair was partly a fantasy and an escape and that while the feelings were real, that alone wasn't enough. And that we, you know, we have to really understand who we are in these relationships. You know, she really assessed what would work. And and for the women who have married their lovers, they now have a vacancy where the lover was because he's a husband and lovers and husbands are apples and oranges. Yes. As, and as you said earlier, oftentimes people are looking for someone that's totally different in their affair partner compared to their primary partner. Now, the final type of infidelity you discuss in your work are self-esteem affairs. And these affairs are a bit different from the other types we've discussed because there's this big psychological component to them. The affair provides this sense of self-validation. It's reassuring in a way. So tell us a little bit about what self-esteem affairs look like. Self-esteem affairs affect women of all ages. Women in their 20s don't feel appreciated or seen by their fiancés or new young husbands or live-in partners. And then it goes across the board. A lot of women in their late 30s and early 40s with young children talk about feeling underappreciated and invisible. And the lover makes them feel appreciated and extremely visible. So, you know, the exhaustion of keeping it all up in the air, the husband, house, children, work, family, friends, it's not happening in a way that women feel really appreciated and understand that there's gratitude toward what they do. And women, you know, the studies still say that the second shift after work, the women come home and are more responsible for childcare and housekeeping and that there's not equal pay for equal work. So all these reasons to feel underappreciated, but the lover makes them feel incredibly appreciated and valuable. 
And so the self-esteem that's really been hurt and bruised is now, you know, they feel really special and they love it. Women say, oh, my lover sees me, you know, like that. So women's affairs can be very complex and they can have very different motivations behind them. So I appreciate you sharing all of that. We have the empowering affairs, the sex-driven affairs, the love affairs, and the self-esteem affairs. Now, since you've been studying this subject for decades, have you seen any changes over time in the types of affairs that people are having or their reasons for seeking them? So are all of these types of infidelity becoming more prevalent or are certain types just becoming more prevalent? I feel like the affairs are still going on in equal measure. And while I'm seeing more crossovers, so a self-esteem affair can also end up being a love affair or an empowering affair can end up being sex-driven. But these categories that I've looked at all these years seem to really stand up. And my latest research really underscores that. I'm really seeing that women fall into these categories and that they're pretty self-aware of what the affair brings to their lives what the risk is about, you know, the risk-reward ratio. And speaking of that risk-reward ratio and what the affairs bring to these women's lives, what have you found in terms of how women feel about their affairs? You know, specifically, how often do you encounter women who say they regret having had an affair versus women who say they're happy that they had one? Most of the women who have come forward to speak with me and share their stories are grateful for the affair. Even those who wouldn't have an affair today but had an affair see it as a self-actualizing experience, as something that taught them a great deal about what they want in a relationship, about how many years they've been immersed in something that seems suboptimal, and about how awake they are now. So that's really what I'm hearing. Yeah, and that's not to say that women never regret or are ashamed or otherwise feel negative emotions about having had an affair, but at least in terms of the women that you've spoken to, most of them seem to report that they're happy that it's something that they did. That's what has always interested me about the women who have come forward to share their stories is the idea that the affair has been a very deliberate, even though it might be unexpected in the beginning, but a very deliberate decision and journey that the women say, you know what? I never thought I'd be someone who goes out and has an affair. And then there are some women who say, you know, I was so disappointed in my husband or in how we don't really connect anymore. I I knew I'd meet someone else, but I wasn't ready to leave or now I'm not ready to leave at all. And the lover is really a tool, a way of understanding yourself and what you have and don't have. 
Yeah. Something that you alluded to a little earlier that I wanted to follow up with you about is for your take on how the COVID pandemic changed women's affairs. We know that the pandemic had profound impacts on people's relationships in so many ways, you know, especially when they were cooped up at home with their partners under lockdown. So did you come across anything suggesting a rise in women's infidelity during the pandemic or changes in the types of affairs or why women were having affairs during this time? I really did see a change. And what I was hearing from women is that they were closed off from the world. They were with their husbands slash partners in ways they'd never been with them for hours they never had to account for as shared hours. I would call it the pretzel crunching syndrome where women would say, oh my gosh, I'm in my office and I'm on an important, you know, Zoom and my husband wouldn't even stop crunching and the door's not so soundproof and he's like eating pretzel, you know, like that. But also very reflective, a very fearful, really seriously fearful time for us where some women said they like went online and said, what happened to that guy who liked me when I was 23? Where is my old high school boyfriend? Um, You know, what about my colleague on that business trip just two years ago who really propositioned me and I said, never. Where are we all going to end up? And then the virtual affairs, they just started and they were really, really compelling. And we understand the reason and we understand the need it felt. So a lot of virtual affairs were on the rise during this time. Yeah. And what you said about women reaching out to previous lovers or, you know, the one that got away, I actually found in my own research during the pandemic that about one in five adults said that they reached out to an ex at some point during the pandemic. And so there was definitely something going on there. I think people, a lot of us had more time on our hands to really think about things and, you know, consider other life possibilities, especially if we had maybe some anger or resentment with a current partner that we were living with. But people were also just undergoing this time where we didn't know what was going to happen in the world. And there's this risk, this threat, and what's the world going to look like tomorrow, a year from now, and so forth. And so I think for a lot of people, it was kind of an impetus to say, hey, it's time for some sort of change in my life. If not now, when? And definitely the access through the internet and the ability to find the person and to move into a corner of a room and hope that there is soundproofing and really explore something that these women said they might not have done under different circumstances. So there was a very different approach to the lover. And then what happens afterward? I've tried to follow some of these stories And some women meet them in real time and some women really like, you know, like screen sex. So we're talking about all different outcomes, but definitely the longing and the intensity was there for these virtual affairs. Yeah. And I think part of it too was also just wanting to feel alive. You know, I see that also in research on having affairs is that it is a way to feel alive, to feel passion, very intense sexual excitement, perhaps emotional connection to another person. And, you know, during a pandemic where there was this risk that 
people were dying, you could potentially die. That can prompt people to want to go out and do things that are going to make them feel alive, which could represent getting more sexually adventurous. And, you know, that was another big thing I found in my own research was that people tried a lot of new things sexually during the pandemic. And that also included infidelity. And what I was hearing from the women who were really deep into the virtual affairs during the pandemic is that they were surprised by how their husbands slash partners were living at home 24-7, that that kind of almost pushed them toward this. That So there was the discovery of that, and then there was the self-discovery, and then this very intense and scary time, all of that. Yeah. Definitely a lot going on during that period in time. Well, thank you so much for this amazing conversation, Susan. It was a pleasure to have you here. Can you please tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work and get copies of your books? Oh, I would love to hear from your listeners. So on my website, which is susanshapirobarish.com, the book is on Amazon and you know, indie bookseller will have it or get it for you. And anyone can contact me through the website. And you can follow me on Insta, Facebook, all of the social media. And I'll be sure to include links for all of that in the show notes. Thank you. Thanks again for your time, Susan. I really appreciate having you here. And thanks to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology, at sexandpsychology.com, or subscribe on your favorite platform, where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on the socials for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Miller and Instagram at Justin J. Miller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time. Next time.